I don't know if it's still this way, but I know when I was a kid, it was a big thing. You were either a Ford man or a Chevy man or a Chrysler man, okay? And that was it. And and that would often be passed down to generations. And when when somebody from a Ford family bought a ship, what? You bought a Chevrolet? What is wrong with you? You know, and, and they'd give people John Deere and Case and are those the only two left now? No, there's Ford and New Holland and Cat and, but everybody, um, ladies, it's lard, it's Crisco or it's, what's the other thing you use? Oh yeah, coconut oil and next thing you know they'll have kale oil, you know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> to to make pie crust there were there were certain ladies that if you don't use lard it's not an official pie all right uh, i won't ask for a raise of hand and and then um then it was crisco but crisco's bad for you because it's hydrogenated blah 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 but i tell you what it makes flaky crust all right light flaky crust it's better to die happy than to die healthy, okay? <laughs> You're going to die. That's the... But loyalty, I mean, we have our loyalty to our teams, to our brands, to various things. And really, that's what the book of Hebrews is dealing with. It was... Needless to say, written to Hebrews, and they were very loyal to their heritage, to their Jewish traditions, and we can't fully imagine what it was, because they were committed to their religion, if you please, and along comes this Jesus, and it is upsetting everything about their religion, and so... The book of Hebrews is dealing with, wait a minute, this is what you have been loyal to, but in essence it's saying Jesus is better than all of that. And it, it, it's almost like a, a, a prosecuting attorney defending its case and proving its point. Now, to understand the book of Hebrews, you need to understand that it was written to three separate groups of people. First of all, it was written to Hebrew believers that had come to trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. So, these were people that had acknowledged Jesus is the Messiah they turned from their sin to trust Jesus Christ alone. And um, and yet they were facing some difficult times. They were persecuted by their own people um, and by the Gentiles. And, and some of them hadn't grown much in the Lord. And they were because of persecution and all the things going on. They were beginning to waver in their confidence some, and some were indeed going back to the practices of Judaism. 
So the Holy Spirit directed this letter to the Hebrews in part to strengthen them in their faith, to strengthen them in their new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, and to give confidence to these believers that that may have been floundering a little bit. So, the first group is a group of Hebrew followers of Jesus Christ, believers in Christ. Secondly, it addresses another group of unbelievers who had knowledge of Jesus Christ, and and they accepted the intellectual facts about Jesus Christ, but they hadn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. People knew the truth about Jesus Christ, and um, they, they intellectually were convinced that Christ is indeed who he claimed to be, but they were unwilling to make a commitment of faith to be a follower of him. Um, if you'd look in... We won't take the time now, but you look in, in chapter 6, and it, it taught, it's addressing those that are in this position. And he says, it is impossible for those who had been enlightened, in other words, they, they came to see the um, Understanding, intellectually they were conceived, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. But they hadn't placed their faith in it. They'd been exposed to this, they acknowledged it, but they were still in unbelief. So, this, this is the second group. And, and he addresses them at times in the book of Hebrews. And urges them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then there is the third group that is addressed. These are unbelievers who were attracted to Christ, or what about this, to a certain degree, but they, they ultimately rejected him. They, no, we, we don't believe that. We don't believe of Christiah. So, you have genuine believers, followers of Christ, those that knew all about it and acknowledged certain facts about it. It wasn't they were, were ignorant of this. They acknowledged that, but they, they had never come to the point where they submitted themselves to Christ and yielded and turned from their sin to Him. And then there's the third group that they were in, they were in unbelief. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. Indeed, today, right here today, you are in one of those three groups. Everyone here is in one of those three groups. And the book of Hebrews is addressing that. Some people today in the world we live in are in this third group of unbelief out of loyalty to their family heritage. My dad wasn't a believer, and he wasn't this or that, and and out of loyalty to that. Some are in the second group, 
um, that we mentioned. They acknowledge, they know about Jesus, they could probably give you the gospel, but they have been unwilling to bend their knee to Christ and give up ownership of their life to Christ. And um, they are just the same condition as the third group. So the book of Hebrews is is dealing with these, and we'll get in and look at some of this. But notice if you'd look, Hebrews chapter 1. I said, um, let me just back up a little bit. If you don't understand those three groups, you will read portions of Hebrews and come to wrong conclusions about things that are said. As we said, you may come to the conclusion that you could lose your salvation. He's saying to the second group, you were convicted, you acknowledged the truth, but you never were a partaker of the truth. You are lost. He wasn't saying to the believers, you once were saved and then you lost your salvation. He's saying, You were convicted. There are people that are, even today, convicted of their sin. They acknowledge, um, they acknowledge that, yeah, I agree. I've talked to people. You may have talked to people. I agree with what you're saying, but I'm just not ready. They're in unbelief. So, the book of Hebrews is written to All three of these groups strengthen the faith of the first group, show the second group that their uncommitment to yield to Christ leaves them the same as the third group, and the third group to warn them, second and third group, to warn them of what is before them, eternity without Christ. But he begins by spending, and he does all this in the book of Hebrews, but the first ten chapters deal with the defense, so to speak, that says Christ is better than anything. Notice, right from the get-go, and he jumps right in. God, who at various times, Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let me just stop there. Notice right from the start. He said, God has spoken in various ways at various times, but now he has spoken unto us by his Son. He's holding it up right from the start. Holding it up. Jesus Christ is better than anything. And notice, I want us to finish reading chapter 1. Now he goes into uh, an exhibit of showing that Christ is better than angels. Verse 5, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? 
today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. He's saying, did he ever say that to any of the angels? No. This is only said to Jesus Christ. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. That's what we're celebrating in December when he brought the firstborn into the world, all the angels. Angels we have heard. That's what he's talking about here. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, and like a cloak you will fold them up. And they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So, you you see a sampling of this discourse that he's given to show Jesus Christ is better than anything else. And and this is very important because most of us are familiar with Hebrews from Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith hall of fame. You can't have the faith of Hebrews 11 unless you believe chapters 1 through 10, Jesus Christ is better than anything. Then you can, once you believe that and fully yield to that, then you can have the faith of Hebrews 11 and, and he gives exhortations to that. And Lord willing, tonight we'll look at Hebrews, um, 11 and 12 and 13 and, and the exhortations from that. But there is no book in the Bible that is any more Christ-centered than the book of Hebrews. It focuses on Jesus Christ and is one of the greatest books for dealing with discouragement or defeat or depression because it emphasizes the character and qualities of Jesus Christ. If we see him as he is, we cannot help but be strong in the faith. And, and so he spends the first ten chapters um, comparing Christ. It's, someone has said it's, um, it's almost like an athletic competition. When, when I was in high school, um, every once in a while, um, the wrestling coach would say, we're going to have king of the mat tonight. And what that would mean is you'd start out with us little guys, okay? Two of us would go out on the mat. You'd wrestle till somebody got a takedown. The guy that got the takedown would stay on the mat. Then the next guy would come in. And you'd wrestle. Whoever got the takedown stayed on the mat. You desired to stay on the mat as long as you can. 
But when the weight differences came into play and experience came into play, things changed, okay? This is what's happening in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is on the mat, and they bring in the Old Testament prophets. Verse 1, he said, You have heard that God spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. It's like, here's Jesus Christ, bring on the prophets. And Jesus Christ is greater than the prophets. We're not going to go into to all the details of it, but you get in and look at it. And he shows Jesus Christ is greater than the prophets. The prophets are dead and gone. Jesus Christ is alive. And then we read chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. Jesus Christ is there. Bring on the angels. Angels were very important in, in Judaism. They brought great messages and they had great reverence for them. They had great loyalty. But we read and he went through and we're not going to go through all of that this morning, but he said, which of the angels were there when God created everything? Which of the angels did he say, sit down on my right hand? Which of the angels? None of them. And? Jesus Christ is greater. So the angels come. Then he brings in chapters 3 and 4, and you might want to jot some of these down so you can go back and and look at it. But in chapters 3 and 4, Moses and Joshua were highly revered among the Jewish people. So on come Moses and Joshua. And in chapters 3 and 4, He shows Jesus Christ is far greater than Moses and Joshua. Far better than Moses and Joshua. Then in chapters 5 through 9, he brings in the high priest. He mentions Aaron. He mentions Melchizedek. He bring, and the high priest was a key figure to the Jews because the high priest would offer the sacrifices for their sins. The high priest would once a year go in to the Holy of Holies and it was a very high and holy position. And he spends several chapters saying, Jesus Christ is way better than the high priest. At this time, when this letter was written, they were still offering sacrifices. In just a few short years, the temple would be destroyed. They wouldn't even be offering sacrifices. But you read those chapters, and again, we're just giving the overview right now, but you read those chapters. So he's going right down through it. He said, The prophets played an important part, but Jesus is greater than the prophets. The angels played an important part, but Jesus is far greater than the angels. Moses and Joshua were very, very important and played an important part, but Jesus is way greater than them and and the high priest. And then he mentions one other aspect. He mentions the tabernacle and the law. The tabernacle... In, in the eyes of the Jewish people, a very, very key part of their heritage. And, and yet, he comes in and, and he shows to them that Jesus Christ not only is greater than the tabernacle, he dwells within the believers. He tabernacles with us. Jesus Christ 
Emmanuel, God with us, is far greater than the tabernacle and far greater than the law. The purpose of the book of Hebrews makes clear that only one person deserves to hold the primary place in our lives, and that is Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, we're, most of us here aren't Jewish or have a Jewish heritage, and I was thinking, you know, Hebrews deals with these things that were very important to them. What, what might a book to the Americans deal with? What is it that we're loyal to? That God would write to us and say, wait a minute. Jesus is way better than that. And, and this is just speculation on my part, but I, I would think he'd deal with our heritage. I'm an American. I am glad to be an American. God has shed his grace on us, but Jesus is way better than America. Way better than America. We have some godly heritage, and we might be loyal to that, but it, if it ever came down to choosing between America and Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ. You know, the reality is um, we, we elevate to a large degree education, or if not education, knowledge. Jesus Christ is way better than any education and all knowledge. Because all our knowledge is limited. Jesus Christ's knowledge is unlimited. We, we get pretty loyal to our possessions, our material things. We value those. We don't like to think that we do, but we really do. You go out there today and somebody keyed your car during church, you probably wouldn't be too happy about it, right? Now all of you are going to go out today and say, did pastor have somebody out there keying our cars? We can get pretty ticked off about stuff that affects our possessions. Every possession we have, Moth and rust will corrupt, and thieves can break through and steal. And every possession we have, when you die, they'll come in like vultures to take it if it's worth anything, or they'll sell it at a garage sale, and somebody else will be driving your junk and wearing your clothes and, and doing what. I mean, that's where it's going to end. Your house someday, someone will say, we got to get rid of this thing, and they'll bring a bulldozer in and plow it down, burn up what's left, and they'll build something new there if everything tarries. Jesus Christ is way better than anything you and I can ever own. We sometimes get thinking pretty, pretty highly of our own goodness. We compare ourselves to others, and, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I do do this, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good. And we're pretty loyal to that. 
until we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we realize all my righteousness is as filthy rags. Anything good I do is no comparison to Jesus Christ. We sometimes think of our abilities and and our experience. I don't care what it is you pile in there. Jesus Christ is better, period, than anything else. And that was the message to the Hebrews Only when we give Jesus his rightful place in our lives will everything else in our life fall into its rightful place. So the message to the Hebrews was Jesus Christ is greater than all. Now, through the book of Hebrews, he gives many warnings. Some of them are warnings to the first group of believers, some to the second group that apply to both the second and third, but some to the second group that knew about God and knew and agreed with all the facts about God, but had never yielded to him for the forgiveness of sins and never laid down their rebel arms, and some to the third. And so the warnings that he gives in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, he gives a warning We just read chapter 1, God is greater than the angels. So then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. In other words, because God, Jesus Christ, is greater than the angel, we better listen to what he says. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those that heard him? What he's saying is, if what the angels said was true, and whether you obeyed it or didn't, you bore the consequences, how much greater is it what Jesus said? And if Jesus said, this is how you are saved, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man can come to the Father but by me, he said, how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? There's power in the Word of God. I'm reminded as I read this this week, my mom was a a young teenage girl in North Dakota And back in those days, you took pictures on camera that had film in them, and you'd mail them in somewhere, and about two weeks later, you'd get some pictures back. I explain all that. You old fogies like me aren't are thinking, why is he saying that? Because a lot of people here have never heard of anything like that, okay? When she got her pictures back from the film developer, inside her pictures was a card with the verse, Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And the Spirit of God started using that in her heart. It was instrumental in what later led her to salvation. 
And what God is warning here, he's saying, if you don't listen to Jesus Christ and what he says about salvation, there is no escape for you. And that's the first warning that he gives. And and he says, how are you going to escape this? If what the angel said came true, how much more, the greater than angels, Jesus Christ. Then you look in chapter 3 and verse 7. He gives another warning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me, And saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Here's the warning. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another today while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of your sin. So he gives the warning. Do not be like your forefathers, he's saying to them. For 40 years they saw the mighty works of God in the wilderness, but they hardened their heart. They rebelled against God and they remained in their unbelief. And he warned them, do not. Rebel against God through your unbelief. And he said to them, Beware lest there be that evil heart of unbelief. You know about God. He's been gracious enough to convict you, but you depart from him. He says, I'm warning you, that does not end well. Then, in chapter 6, he has been dealing with Jesus Christ, in, it's in the context of Jesus Christ, the high priest. And, and he says in chapter 6, Therefore, since Jesus Christ is greater than the high priest, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And he says, and he goes on, we don't have the time, but he says, there, some of you are still babes in Christ. He says, you've, you've failed to go on. He says, I'm warning you, don't. You are a believer in Christ, but you're going back to the basic elementary and even thinking you should leave those. He says, don't stunt your growth in Christ. I want you to go on to maturity. I want you to go on to perfection. I'm warning you, it's not enough just to be saved. You will be deceived. You need to grow. You need to be a growing Christian. And he talks much, and again, we don't have the time, but but that's the warning. Don't stunt your growth. Look at chapters 10. He gives another warning. Chapter 10, he in verse 24, he says to the believers, um, it's important that we gather together as we are here today, exhorting one another. Then notice what he says. <clears throat> 
He says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth. Notice that. We receive the knowledge of the truth. This is the second group. They knew about God. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the, the adversaries. And he, and he goes on and, and deals with it. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant which by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He says, don't you deceive yourself into thinking you can reject Jesus Christ and everything will turn out well for you. He says, there is a holy God that is an angry God at sin, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And he gives them this warning that don't you deceive yourself that you're good enough. Don't you deceive yourself just because you know about God, that you are a child of God. So he gives that warning. It does not end well. And then he says one other warning that we want to mention today that he gives. Verse 37 of Hebrews 10. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. It is the belief that is the saving of the soul. And he says, you may come close to Christ. You may know all about Christ. But if you draw back, it is to your own condemnation. And the reality is he gives this warning and, and he's encouraging the first group of believers. He's strongly warning the second group. They know all the things. They can win Bible trivia. They, they know these things, but they're not a child of God. And he's also warning the third group that, that has no desire for it or looked at it and said, nah, I don't believe that thing. And then he'll go on in chapters 11, 12, and 13 and in, in, in specific manner address the first group. And encourage them to live by faith. And he introduced that. Now the just shall live by faith. You know what? It, it doesn't matter what group I think you're in. It doesn't matter what group your parents think you're in. It doesn't matter what group your husband or wife, wife thinks you're in. It matters what group you are really in. Honestly, I fear that many people have grown up from infancy, hearing 
all about Jesus Christ. And that is a good thing. But it's not enough to hear it. I fear that many people have grown up coming to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday, you name it. And they've heard it, and they've heard it, and they, they know it, and they may even study it. But they have never yielded their will to God and said, God, I am done running my life, and I want you to run my life and forgive my sin. And he wrote, it's been the same all throughout history. There's, Satan loves to get us to have a head knowledge without it ever changing our heart. And that's something only you know. That's something that is between you and God. But he gives the warnings. He said, don't deceive yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. He gives the warning, don't, don't allow yourself to be hardened in unbelief. Don't, don't draw back from the conviction of the Spirit of God. The book of Hebrews ought to build our faith. Yes, Jesus Christ is greater than all. You'll never, ever be disappointed in Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, I, I had, um, in particular, I had baseball heroes that, man, and one guy was, he was just it, man. He, and, and then I read later that he ended up getting a divorce and read other things. And I thought, man, I thought I put him up here as something. I don't care who it is. Some people have themselves up there. Some put other people up there or things up there. It's only Jesus. He is better than anything else. You'll never read anything about Jesus that will make you say, Oh, man, what a disappointment. And Hebrews is telling us Jesus Christ is better than all And He is the reason for our life. He deserves to be the purpose of our life, the primary place in our lives, and anything else will sadly disappoint. Jesus Christ is better than all. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would make personal these truths in our life. And Lord... I pray for individuals that you know are not a child of yours. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict and draw them and that today would be the day that they yield to you. Lord, I pray for every believer here today. May may our faith be strengthened to realize you are better than all. You deserve our all. And Lord... May our faith be focused on you as never before. And I know as it is that our hearts will be encouraged. Lord, thank you that you are better by far than all. And Lord, I pray that we would manifest that in the way that we live. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand.